Hello and welcome to Locked On Leafs Podcast, part of your Locked On Podcast Network, your one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio. You can find me on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. You can also uh, find the show on Twitter at Locked On Leafs. So for today's episode, we're going to be setting up the San Jose game that'll be going down tonight. But first, uh, I was on Locked On Canucks yesterday, and we got into a good conversation. Uh, first, we were chatting about the game overall Saturday, and then we got into a good conversation regarding to uh, the reported Tyson Berry deal that was being discussed between the Leafs and Canucks. So I want to see how Justin Morissette from Locked On Canucks viewed him as an out-of-market observer. So we chatted about that, and then had a pretty cool comparison and a uh, compare and contrast conversation about two embarrassing losses for the Leafs and Canucks last week, but two incredible stories coming out of it as a result of the outcome, the David Ayers game for Toronto, and then the Bobby Ryan game scoring a hat trick, his second game back from his hiatus against the Canucks. For those who are unaware of the Bobby Ryan story and why it's so great, um, so essentially back in November, he checked himself into the NHL players substance abuse program uh, he had been battling with alcoholism for years and is a big reason why he believes his game uh, really fell off here in Ottawa over the last few seasons so trying to seek help and then uh, he was uh, celebrated his 100th day sober in his first game back against the National Predators and then his second game back just a couple of nights later his first home game back in Ottawa against the Canucks uh, last Tuesday I believe and scored a hat trick so that was a, a special, special night. Not a dry eye in the stands, uh, but at the same time, you know, took two points away from the Canucks, which very similar to the David Ayer situation, taking an important two points away from the Maple Leafs. So we kind of discussed how we felt about that, how we went about as, you know, the fan base, how we had to kind of get past our anger of losing the game and then appreciate what we had just seen. So without further ado, here's a quick snippet of my conversation with Justin Morissette from Locked On Canucks. I got one question for you because there's a player here in the market that has gotten a really bad rep that was linked to Vancouver uh, in both in the offseason and at the trade deadline, Tyson Berry. What was the feeling of in Vancouver about the conversations that were reportedly going on between Benning and Dubis in regards to Tyson Berry was, were, were Vancouver fans totally game on that or like, how, how'd you guys feel about that? I, I mean, there's, there's a, a certain affection there just because he is a, a Vancouver Island kid. And uh, especially at, at the draft last year when there were all kinds of talks around uh, Barry to the Canucks before, of course, the deal got made to Toronto. Uh, before we really knew what we had in Quinn Hughes, there was a much bigger appetite for that because that kind of puck-moving defenseman was entirely missing from the group of D that Vancouver had put together. You know, like, before Quinn Hughes really broke onto the scene this year, even when he came into the league at the tail end of last season, he didn't get placed onto the top unit power play. Alex Edler was being being relied on to do, you know, all of the key things that a number one puck moving defenseman is relied on to do for this team last year. And Edler had a fantastic season last year, but I think even as that was happening, everyone here in Vancouver was very cognizant of the fact that, well, he's old and this is, uh, might be his last best effort. Like we should appreciate this for the moment, but not expect it ever again. <laughs> um, 
coming into the deadline, hearing those talks again with the Leafs to try and bring Barry in, I mean, to me, the question is, where's the money going to come from? Like, it's all well and good for Vancouver management to uh, salivate over these players, but they have some tough decisions to make of their own going into this offseason uh, in terms of who they're going to keep, what what guys are getting raises, what guys are going to be shown the door, so on, etc. Jacob Markstrom, I think, especially in his absence over the last couple of weeks, has proven himself to be indispensable and that was a conversation throughout the season do you go to Demko next year as the guy and let Markstrom take huge money in free agency that doesn't look like an option right now and if that's not an option then where are you gonna find the money to be able to sign a guy like Tyson Berry especially when a very affordable defenseman like Troy Stetcher is apparently being shopped because the Canucks don't want to pay him what he might command uh, coming out of an arbitration case in the offseason so to me, that seems antithetical. If you don't think you can afford afford Troy Stetcher, why are you window shopping Tyson Berry right now? I think they just felt maybe Toronto would uh, would let him walk for a song relative to what they picked him up for. Because the rumored asking price that Colorado was asking for at the draft was Bo Horvat, which was, you know, insane to me at the time. Yeah, Good luck trying crazy. to get that. But you know, when Toronto turns around and deals Nazem Kadri, a very comparable player to Bo Horvat, you know, the Avs kind of got exactly what they wanted in the end. So I guess they knew the market better than I did. There was something that you mentioned in there uh, that I thought was interesting about, you know, looking for the money and stuff. Jacob Markstrom, is it just me or is this injury making him a much richer man? Oh, definitely. And when he got injured, there had been talk in Vancouver about this guy being in in the discussion uh, for, you know, uh, uh, Vesna consideration and a Hart Trophy consideration. And everybody was heartbroken that, oh, he got injured at the worst possible time. This injury is going to hurt his consideration for those awards, if anything. I think it's it strengthens it because we do get to see what this team looks like without Jacob Markstrom. And they are not a playoff team without that guy in net. They simply are not. They have to, you know, tread water here and try to remain 500 down the stretch while he's out to keep themselves in a decent position. But uh, it is a very eye opening look at the actual roster that Jim Benning has constructed here this season without Jacob Markstrom kind of papering over all of the holes and gaps and defensive deficiencies. If anything, I think it only makes his case for the Vesna or even, you know, a heart discussion even stronger to see what the group looks like uh, without having Superman uh, save their skin night in and night out. <laughs> what I do like about Vancouver and, and and the team out there, though, is that they do have a pretty well-balanced lineup, and they are pretty deep. Like, you, considering... You look around a lot of of uh, teams around the league. They would love to have the depth that that team has. To have a guy like Jake Vertan and pretty much playing fourth line minutes for a lot of the a lot of the season. I know he's kind of gone up and down the lineup, but pretty well he's playing bottom six minutes, and and he's really kind of. Uh, stepped up this season I would say for you guys and having a guy like him a guy like Brandon Sutter although he's not what he used to be still an effective fourth liner I would think um, I, I think I the mean, depth. there's some people who will say that Sutter cost the team the game uh, in Columbus on Sunday. So oh, he's the not penalty? the most popular guy at the moment. But I agree with you. Yeah. You know, I don't want to rely on a Brandon Sutter as a third line center. But is he, if he's your fourth line winger. That is a sign that this team has serious depth up front. But 
Jake Vertanen, another guy exactly like Troy Stetcher. You know, part of the reason the Canucks felt compelled to push a ton of chips in on this season was that they don't think they can bring a lot of these guys back who've been in depth roles over the last couple of years. To me, I think it's insane that you've gone out in free agency over the last several years and handed out all these big money contracts oh. to Jay Beagles and Antoine Roussels and, uh, you know, so on, etc. Michael Furlins, but you're not going to pay Jake Vertanen for outproducing all of those guys like what what are we really doing here if that's the case I don't I don't get it yeah it's actually very similar kind of those those bad depth moves that they've made it's not bad like you want these guys on your team but the contracts that they had to dole out to get that is just absolutely ludicrous like what what between that fourth line of Beagle Sutter and Roussel like that's well over ten million dollars, and that's way too much for a fourth line. Yeah, and, yeah. And also, they all have term on their deals as well, which is also a concerning thing. Uh, but it's very reminiscent to what the Leafs did back when Brian Burke was in, where Burke had this false sense that the team was ready to take a next step, trade away their draft picks to go out and get Phil Kessel, went out and signed guys like Mike Komisarek and 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 uh, Jeff Finger gave him a $3.5 million deal back in like 2011 and just made all these, these random signings, depth signings, just too much money, too much term. And it's, it it's all death did by a million cuts, out. right? These yeah. things all add up over exactly. time. Exactly. Exactly. So I kind of see those those parallels between the two teams and, and how they've been managed over the course of the last few years. Now, luckily, Vancouver was able to draft well on top of that to kind of build a foundation. Uh, whereas Toronto wasn't able to do that because they had no picks because they trade away all their picks, and the picks that they did have turned out to be guys like Tyler Biggs, who never made it to the NHL, Stu Percy, who had a cup of coffee in the NHL, and, and you know so on and so forth, bust after bust after bust. At least Vancouver, now they have guys like Besser and Hughes and Patterson, and they're dipping into the college free agents to bring in guys like Stetcher, and they're able to fill in around those players uh, to kind of make a full team and a competitive team, whereas Toronto, they just tried to buy their way to the playoffs, and it just didn't work because they didn't have a good core around them. So that's well, something that I do think Benning has done very well uh, is – Kind of, he's supplementing his core with these guys. Might be paying a little bit too much to do it, but I think the success is coming in the fact that they're going to make the playoffs this season, which I think is a step that two years ago, I don't think that the Vancouver thought that that was going to be the position that they'd be in right now. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, fingers crossed, right? Uh, this was a, a pretty rough weekend for those of us who believe that this team is still playoff bound. <laughs> uh, it's funny that you mentioned that, though, that it's similar to the Leafs, because this is something that I've brought up uh, multiple times in the past. I don't know if I've made the point on this particular podcast, but uh, everybody wants to make fun of Toronto and all the foibles that they went through over the you know uh, last 12 years or so to find where they are now uh everybody wants to laugh at it nobody wants to learn the lessons of it you know like it seems like oh yeah we all had a great time just pointing and laughing at that group that did everything wrong but uh we're just gonna do it all ourselves as well because uh well, it's totally different the circumstances over here it drives me crazy that uh, we have a very hands-on owner 
here in Vancouver who, you know, uh, it's like, oh, there's a there's a fan who owns the team. But uh, you'd think if he was a fan, he'd learn the lessons of a fan instead of having to uh, just go through all these same processes with his own group again and again and again. But, uh, Mike, before we wrap up here, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, the Zamboni game, uh, just to drag you through that again. But I want to compare it to uh, the game that the Canucks lost against Ottawa before they headed into Toronto, because these are both fantastic stories. You see uh, a guy like David Ayers get to live his dream and be, you know, the, the king of the world for just one night, something that he had waited his entire, uh, you know, playing life for, even though he'd never played at a higher level than junior B, which is insane. Um, and with the Canucks last week, it's it's uh, Bobby Ryan has this incredible comeback, his first home game in Ottawa since entering the substance abuse program. Uh, he gets a hat trick in front of the home fans, in front of his family, a very, very emotional night. Uh, these are fantastic stories. Unfortunately for, uh, for us and the fan bases that we represent, we have to be on the losing side yeah. of them. Uh, is there an appreciation of just how special these moments are, uh, even when it might be embarrassing to your club uh, in particular? Yeah, no, there there definitely is. You know, at the time, you're just kind of jaw-dropped. Like, are you kidding me? We actually lost to this guy. But then when you rationally kind of think it through, you're like, that was actually incredible. That was like a once-in-a-lifetime thing that you just saw happen this i do not believe i will ever get to witness again uh or at least not for a very long time like we've seen in the past emergency backups having to come in kind of late in the third uh where they don't really have to do that much this guy came in like midway through the game he had to play over half of the game and he made some big like, stops on Austin it, Matthews, multiple. Yeah, no, Matthews ended up with like three or four shots in that game, and he, he steered it aside. Now, I need to credit Carolina for a lot of the reason why Toronto didn't get much going. Uh, Carolina suffocated them. Like, it's not even that Toronto couldn't get it into Carolina's end. They couldn't get it out of their own end. Like, when they were trying to chip the puck out, they're trying to chip it, chip it over their own blue line because they just couldn't get the puck past center ice. Like, Carolina, I got to credit them for the way that they played in front of Ayers because they, they played as if this was this was uh, third period in a Game 7 Stanley Cup and they're nursing a, a one nothing lead for this guy. Like, that's honestly the way that they played, and it was fantastic. You know, Ayers allowed the first two goals uh, to go into the back of the net, and then he shut him out from that point on, uh, and it was, it was insane. So, uh, yes, you do at, at one point. As a Leaf fan, say, you've got to be kidding me. That's terrible. You know, we we lost a very valuable two points. We're in a playoff race. Uh, at the time, we were neck and neck with Florida. And we're like, oh, my goodness, Florida's going to gonna overtake us and get into the, the, the playoffs. And what if this two points comes to, to bite us in the ass down the road? But then when you think about the story, it's just like that was actually incredible. Like That's what a movie, we just basically. saw, exactly. Yeah. It's it is a movie. Like you, that you couldn't even write up a movie like that. Like that is something that you can only see in Disney. 
like when Mighty Ducks the sixth comes out, like at some point, that's <laughs> you're gonna have. You're gonna have some random Zamboni driver coming out uh, playing for Coach Bombay, and it's gonna be named David Ayers. Like, and people will roll their eyes and be like, "Yeah, as if this would ever happen." Exactly. <laughs> it's like only in a Disney movie. No, nope, it happens in real life too. You just you're not gonna believe it unless you see it. And we saw it happen last week. And you know, in in your guys' situation, Bobby Ryan. He was, what, 102 days sober. He was gone for since November, and it was just his second game back, and he goes out and and has a hat trick against the Canucks, his first home game. So that was kind of ultra extra special because it was a home game for, for Ottawa. And, you know, on your end as a Canucks fan, I'm sure you kind of had the same wave of emotions where you're thinking, oh, my God, we just lost. We're in a playoff race. We lost to the Ottawa Senators. Bobby Ryan, who hasn't scored pretty much. He has one goal all season, hasn't played in three months, and comes up and, and puts up three on us. But at the same time, you know, this is a guy who went through the the alcohol protocol, and, and he's battling alcoholism. He fought his way back to the NHL. And to have a successful night like that in his first home game back, it, it was I'm sure pretty special for you once you kind of dumped it down and realized what actually just happened. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot easier to accept losses like this if they come in November and we're not, you know, stressing over the standings and the two points don't mean necessarily as much. Exactly. Uh, it is nice to be able to step back, though, and, and realize that, uh, you know, sometimes sometimes special moments in the game are, are bigger than your uh, your own team's playoff push. And, and we've, we got to enjoy a couple of big ones here over the last couple of weeks, even if they didn't go necessarily the way that uh, our fan bases might want them to. All right, welcome back to Locked On Leafs Podcast. Mike DiStefano still with you. The team riding high after a big win over the Canucks over the weekend. And the team's got a three-game winning streak post-David Ayers, so they'll look to make it four in a row tonight in San Jose as they start their California road trip. Not as daunting as it once was. Uh, neither Anaheim, L.A., or San Jose are no longer playoff teams, no longer the, the beasts out west. They're kind of now bottom feeders. So it's a good opportunity for the Leafs to try and go out there and at least get as many points as possible. If they can come away with four or five points, that'll be a successful road trip. One game being a back-to-back, they got uh, L.A. on Thursday and then Anaheim on Friday. So if they can scramble two or three points in that back-to-back game, I think the Leafs will be happy. If not, take all six, and uh, we'll have a six-game winning streak coming back here uh, for next week and really separate ourselves from the Panthers in this playoff race. Uh, But tonight, the game against the San Jose Sharks is going to start it all off. Should be a good one. The the Leafs won the last game against the Sharks earlier this season. Uh, The Sharks are not what they used to be. (laughs) They're pretty depleted at this point. No Eric Carlson, no Thomas Hurdle. They trade away Barkley Goudreau. They traded away Patrick Marleau. Um, and then their goaltending has really fallen off. Aaron Dell had a little bit of a resurgence halfway through the year, and he's kind of fallen off as well. Um, but that being said, they did have they are coming off a couple of big wins. They won two straight, they had an overtime victory against the Devils over the weekend, and then a five nothing win against Pittsburgh uh, on Sunday. So uh, they're riding high off of that victory against a pretty solid team. So if they can beat Pittsburgh five nothing. They certainly believe that they could beat Toronto five nothing. So the Leafs can't take this game. Uh, they can't take this game lightly. You know, 
And I think that they realize this, and this is something that I've noticed uh, over the last week, is that I think that they're going to start taking every game seriously. Because the games that they take off and when they play down to their opponents, they end up getting embarrassed. And after that David Ayers game, I think they're, they're done with being embarrassed. They don't want to be embarrassed anymore. They can't afford to be embarrassed anymore. Uh, so I really do believe that they're going to come out firing tonight. And it should be a really, really good matchup. Uh, they're going to be starting Jack Campbell, who it sort of makes sense to put Campbell in goal uh, on this road trip. I was kind of surprised that they decided to do it in game one, uh, considering that there is a back-to-back -back later on in the week, which means he's going to play two of the three of these games, which makes sense considering that he did come from the Pacific Division. He does know these opponents pretty well. Uh, he, you know, He already played a game against Anaheim earlier this season, and he obviously knows the Kings, obviously spending the last two years in their system and spending the last two years as their goaltender. Uh, or as a, a backup goaltender, part of the tandem with Jonathan Quick. So I don't know what game he's going to get in the back-to-back, -back, whether he starts two straight and then Anderson starts the game in Anaheim, or they split those games and Anderson plays Thursday, and then they give Campbell the game on Friday. We'll see what ends up happening, but tonight he does get this one. Um, and, and I like it. He's he's one and one in his two career outings against the Sharks, a 199 goals against and a 923 save percentage. So, and that was when they were a pretty good team. That was when they were a playoff team, a potent team. Uh, now with a much less superior lineup, uh, you know, I think Jack Campbell, he's kind of, he, he should feel good about this one. And he should feel good about uh, this road trip. And, and the Leafs should too. I, I really, I, I was surprised that they went with Jack Campbell in this game, but I like it a lot because giving him two out of three games on the swing means that you're giving Freddie Anderson a bit of a break before the final big playoff push. Like, the last game that they played was on Saturday. So from Saturday to today, so they had two nights off before that. And if they sit out Freddie on Thursday when they play L.A. to give Jack Campbell that revenge game against his former team, that means that he didn't play from Saturday until Friday. So that's a nice little stretch that he has to kind of get his body back uh, healthy, kind of rejuvenate himself, get some more energy, get a little bit uh, healthier, and give him a break. Um, so I really, really do kind of like the, the thought of this, going up against a weaker opponent and the fact that your backup goaltender spent the last two years in this division. They know him well. Maybe he does give them the best opportunity to get wins and try and get as many points as possible uh, on this road trip because he knows them so much better uh, that being said, Fran Harrison also spent time in that division, but there's been so much turnover over the last four or five years since Anderson was there that it's not really the same. Um, considering that Campbell was there as just like a month ago, month and a half ago, uh, he still he knows these guys and he knows the teams a lot better. So going with Jack Campbell tonight, uh, hopefully that is equates to a victory. Campbell's played. Really good so far in his few appearances that he's had with the Maple Leafs. So hopefully he can keep it going and uh, get them another win, get another two points here against San Jose. Something that uh, of note about the lineup tonight, other than Campbell starting, looks like Rasmus Sandin is going to be a healthy scratch. Uh, let's take a look at the lines in practice yesterday. Mark Masters posted them. So we got Hyman, Matthews, and Marner, obviously. Nylander, Tavares, and Kerfoot moving up to that line. Clifford, Spezza, Kapanen as the third line, Engvall, Gauthier, and Dennis Mulgan as the fourth line, and then Dermot and Hall, Marincin and Barry, and then it looks like it's going to be uh, Rosen and Lilligren 
So Rosen getting into uh, a game here, and then Sandine is going to be sitting out. Uh, Sheldon Keith confirming yesterday that he will sit. Uh, he admitted yesterday that he's wary of overtaxing rookies amid a condensed schedule and a playoff race. So maybe this is something, a pattern that we'll see kind of pop up more often with them. And like I talked about yesterday, once they're fully healthy, I don't even know if we're going to see Sandine and Lilligren in this lineup at all. They might send them back down to the minors and have them try and uh, play, play with the Marlies and get them set for a Marlies playoff race. So we're not going to see Sandine in this one. A lot of people might be a little upset because of the way that he's played so far in his rookie season, but Keith wants to try and give him a night off, maybe sit up in the press box and, and give him a breather, kind of allow him to see from a bird's eye view how the game's going. Uh, maybe it'll allow him to have a different perspective when he's out on the ice. Uh, you know, he played really well when he went down to the minors and then came right back. You know, when he had that second chance, he, he kind of took it and ran with it. So now maybe sit him out a game, allow him to his mind to kind of refocus and get back to playing uh, an elite level hockey like he was when he first got back up here. So, but he's not going to be in the lineup tonight. It'll be a uh, little grin with Rosen. So how has Rosen played since I think he played one game when they started seven D I believe Rosen played that game. Um, but Rosen getting the start tonight uh, in place of Rasmus Sandine. Uh, all right. Predictions. So Jason Spezza, I found this out one assist away from 600. I think he gets it tonight. He's going to get an assist. And the Leafs are going to win five-one. I believe they're going to come out. They're going to be they're going to be extremely motivated to come out and get a win. Uh, they want a fourth win in a row. They need to start proving that consistency. But again, they've had in the past a problem with playing down to opponents. So if they can just play the style of hockey, the full 200-foot, 60-minute game that they've been playing for the last week now, that they played against Tampa, that they played against Florida, that they played against Vancouver. you got to do it again against a non-playoff team in San Jose. They can't afford to take their foot off the pedal. It's a big game. Uh, it's a statement game to show, like, yeah, we're done playing down to lesser opponents. It's time for us to get going, all right? We, we – I have been humbled by that David Ayers game, and we no longer can take things for granted. we got to play our style of game from here on out, and we're going to begin and do that tonight and show everybody, show the fans, show the media, show the organization, show Dubas we're ready to get going because we need business now. So let's hope that's the case tonight. i got a big 5-1 win in the books. Let's hope I'm right. Uh, all right, so the game is going to be late, though. 10.30 start time, 10.30 puck drop Eastern. So hopefully uh, you'll be staying up for that one. I won't have the podcast afterwards because that's that'll be a little late. That'll be about a, a one two a.m. <laughs> two a.m. record, which is a little late for uh, for for me. I will stay up and watch the game, but uh, I'll I'll have to get the the react pod out to you tomorrow. So uh, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. I'd like to thank you for listening and supporting the show. You can subscribe to lockdown Leafs podcast on all podcasting platforms and receive daily Leafs content. Follow the show on Twitter at lockdown Leafs. Follow myself at Mickey underscore Canuck and be sure to check back in tomorrow where we'll be recapping the game against the sharks. Hopefully we're talking about another W, but until then keep it locked right here on lockdown Leafs.